Because money in general is not something that we talk about. And I think financial fidelity is one of those really deeply shameful subjects that people are uh, feel really uh, emotional about. And hence, it really doesn't get any, any sort of limelight in discussions of, of money in general. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Today on the podcast, we have a great topic. We are talking about infidelity. I'm not talking about romantic infidelity, you know, your partner sleeping with somebody else. I am talking about financial infidelity. And believe it or not, someone can cheat on you with their money. Uh, This is a really interesting topic. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about why it happens, how it happens, and most importantly, if this is something that you've experienced or you want to prevent in your relationship, how can you go about doing that? I have a very special guest. He's a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Alex Bakumian, and he has a great uh, background to be able to help us kind of dive into this dialogue. I met Dr. Alex as a member of the Financial Therapy Association. We are both involved in that association. Uh, I am serving on the equity and inclusion, and he is the big bad board of director person. (laughs) He is also a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of the Financial Psychology Center in Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much, Dr. Alex, for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Kathleen. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I'm giggling a bit because we both have a pretty good sense of humor. And I know this is maybe a serious topic, but um, I'm hoping we can try to have a little fun uh, while we talk about financial infidelity. Well, I I thought when you asked me to join your podcast, what better uh, topic to discuss on the Breaking Money Silence uh, podcast than financial infidelity? And uh, truly honored to, to be here. Great, great. So, Dr. Alex, tell the people who are listening in kind of what is financial infidelity, because some people haven't heard of it, and, you know, why we don't talk about it, why it's such a secret. Right. So uh, financial infidelity is something that I think of as as being a a close relative of sexual infidelity, as you just mentioned in, in the introduction. And it's something that our culture does not delve into just like any any uh, money conversation. This is why we are having this conversation on the Breaking uh, Money Silence podcast, because money in general is not something that we talk about. And I think financial fidelity is one of those really deeply shameful subjects that people are uh, feel really uh, emotional about. And hence, it really doesn't get any, any sort of limelight in discussions of, of money in general. But uh, financial fidelity is uh, is what it may sound like. It's it's basically being 
dishonest or secretive or lying to your significant other or your partner about money. And it could be little white lies or it could be something a lot more, um, a lot more in depth. So if I buy shoes in the old days before COVID, when I would be on the road and uh, speaking, if I bought a pair of shoes while I was on the road, maybe they were a little pricey. I put them in the back of my closet, let them kind of sit back there and marinate like fine wine until I brought them out one night with a date with my husband. Would that be considered financial infidelity because I was hiding a purchase? Well, technically, yes. I think what we start talking about is intentionality. It's, did you really intentionally do it? And is there a pattern around your hiding purchases from your significant other? If it's a one-time thing here and there, I'm not sure that's such a big deal. Uh, again, a little white lie. However, if it's a really a continuous pattern for somebody who is a shopaholic, for instance, that's one of the major um, money uh, maladaptive behaviors, and you're continuously doing that, uh, spending you know quite a bit of your uh, spending plan on uh, clothing or um, other purchases, and then you're intentionally hiding it from your partner, then it's definitely something that would be considered financial fidelity. So give me an example, because I know you see a lot of couples and families, and you have a lot of experience uh, dealing with clients. And of course, we're going to protect their confidentiality. But can you give me an example of the type of thing that you've worked with, with around financial infidelity and maybe kind of build in what are the signs and symptoms so people can understand what to look for in, the, in their own behavior or the behavior of their partner? Yeah. So, you know, I, I work with individuals as well as couples, and it's something that comes up so frequently with couples because money is uh, one of the most important and really most um, contentious topics that uh, couples are, are, go over. And it's one of the leading causes of divorce and conflict. There's a survey by The Accent that really uh, delved into this topic. And they actually mentioned that about 80 to 90% of people have uh, had a fight about money, which is not very surprising, right? But uh, what happens is uh, in my work with couples, uh, you know, one example would be, again, a little white lie where, you know, one of the partners ended up uh, going to the store to Target and, you know, continuously bought over the, the past six months several items that, you know, they didn't disclose to, to their partner. And that's something that was we were able to navigate fairly easily. However, you know, some of the other couples that I worked with, for instance, one that comes to mind, they were uh, on the road to retirement. And the husband uh, was unfortunately able to secretively uh, set aside money for the retirement and did not disclose that to the wife for uh, actually over a decade. So can you imagine the emotional toll, the shame, the guilt and the resentment that was uh, that ensued between the two partners in that particular case? You know, the shame on, on the part of the husband and the, uh, the, a very deep resentment on part of the wife. Yeah, I mean, you know, I used to work with couples in, in my counseling background a little bit and certainly have worked with advisors and in, in couples a little bit in my role now. And, you know, I, I think it's what it symbolizes, right? It, it's, the action is one thing, the hiding uh, purchases or gambling or, or having a secret account. 
may be a sign of someone being financially unfaithful. But for me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Alex, is that it's really ultimately what it's what's underneath it. Like, is it intentional? You already said that. But, you know, what can it be a symptom of? Like, why would somebody do that, what your client did? Absolutely. And you bring up a good point. It's as a, as a financial psychologist, this is part of my my life's work is to really delve into the underlying roots of why we do what we do with money, whether it's on an individual basis or within a couple, let's say. And uh, as you uh, astutely pointed out, you know, when we are seeing uh, financial infidelity, it's just a symptom or a sign of something much uh, much deeper and <laughs> and wrong and and difficult that is going on in the relationship. And uh, to jump uh, to uh, throw out some of this uh, uh, psychological jargon a little bit, we call that triangulation. And what that term means is when two partners are not unable to have a direct conversation about their feelings and 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 what is going on in the relationship, they bring in a third either person or uh, entity, uh, such as money, that communicates the same message that they're un unable to say to their partner directly. So a lot of times what we see in research is that money ends up being the conduit for a lot of these emotions that one partner is not able to convey to the other. For instance, expressing love through money, expressing control through money, expre expressing a power differential through money, are all underlying themes that is unexpressed uh, within the relationship when you're looking at financial infidelity. Interesting. Two things come to mind. One is my shoes in the back of the closet. It's really only about my own money mindset because I feel a lot of guilt or used to feel a lot of guilt when I spent. In fact, when I'd let my husband know, he'd be like, why did you hide him in the back of the closet? So, <laughs> so working through my own money mindset on that. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind, uh, Dr. Alex, is I worked with uh, a couple, this is years ago, and she, he thought she was a compul compulsive spender. It turned out that she was spending compulsively, but the real issue was she wanted to get his attention. And the only way she could get his attention was to make him angry over her spending too much. So that was ultimately the crux of the issue. It really wasn't about her spending. It was really about how do you, in a healthy way, say to your partner, I need attention. And how does the partner then give that attention? Uh, or are they capable of it? So that's what they ended up having to work on, not, not her shopping or budgeting or anything like that. Absolutely. And uh, you reminded me of, of a couple I worked with as well in very similar circumstances and outcome. Uh, I've actually included uh, a little snippet of, of, uh, of that narrative in a series that I have on social media called Confessions of a Financial Therapist. And one of the one of the lines that I remember to this day that the wife said, mentioned to me in session was that he would choose me over money every single time. I, he would choose money, I'm sorry, money over me every single time. And I feel like a third person in this relationship. So I thought that was such a powerful statement. And it's something that you just brought up in your example as well. Yeah, yeah. And your confessions of a financial therapist, that's a really cool thing on LinkedIn. I highly recommend people connect with you and, and check that out. As we're talking and we're talking about kind of the underlying issues, before it even becomes a problem, 
Is there anything a couple can do to work to prevent this in their romantic relationship? Absolutely. Uh, great question. I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is how do you manage your finances? And is there any pushback or uh, difficulties in navigating that? Uh, I remember one, <laughs> a saying that I heard when I was getting married, which is the wedding is the first event that you're tasked to do together. <laughs> if you can't get through that, like budgeting for a wedding, there's a problem. <laughs> so for yeah, challenging. It's a very yeah, emotional exactly. time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the further discussion is, are you able to manage money within reason uh, uh, equally? I mean, in every couple, I think there's one of the partners who's a little better with money. One of the partners is maybe not as strong, but it's the overall conversation. It's, it's uh, again, a, a playing field uh, and a narrative that ensues where are you able to discuss your wants and needs and are you able to be vulnerable in front of another person, your partner, in discussing what you want, uh, you know, from a financial standpoint and are you able to set goals together? So I think that is a really crucial conversation to be had as you're, as you're walking together in your relationship towards financial, uh, financial ease, financial clarity, and financial freedom. And anybody, I agree, anybody who's listening in, if you haven't done that already in your relationship and you're already in a committed relationship, it's never too late to break money silence. So it doesn't mean you're automatically going to kind of go straight to financial infidelity, but it does mean that maybe there's an opportunity to work with a financial advisor a financial therapist like Dr. Alex or, or some other professional to help kind of facilitate that conversation if you find it challenging. So it sounds like the best way to prevent it is to break money silence early and to have some basic conversations and some openness with your partner. Now, if you are sitting there and you're saying to yourself, wow, I think we're, we're in too deep or I have a sense that maybe my partner's cheating on me financially, you know, what are the things that people can do first of all, to address it, and second of all, I guess, to treat it, because it, it strikes me as that maybe it needs some sort of intervention or treatment. Absolutely. I think what you brought up is the gamut or the, the, the wide spectrum of financial infidelity. Even as niche as that term is, there, there is a, a broad range uh, that we're actually covering in the Breaking Money, Money Silence podcast here. Again, starting with a little white lie and ending up in, uh, you know, really heavy uh, uh, de deception, secrecy and, and uh, intricate, uh, I guess, lying uh, over numerous decades is, you know, those are two extremes. And I think for your listeners, um, of course, I'm always hopeful that it's the little white lie that we have to <laughs> that we have to deal with. But ultimately, you know, it's it's the uh, it's the ability to bring in a professional or or even you know maybe a, a family friend who is objective to this conversation and is able to uh, help and, and look at this particular situation from a different standpoint. I think there's so many parallels to sexual infidelity as well because there is so much uh, shame. Uh, equally in, in sexual and uh, financial infidelity. At this, and at the same time, I think that 
you know, having this communication and, and being able to overcome even, you know, the most dire or painful of situations is something that we've all come across uh, when, it, when it comes to, you know, sexual infidelity and just relationship hurts. So couples have come back from, you know, much more than this. And I think the key ingredient in that is the, is the uh, willingness and the ability to actually look at the issue without, um, you know, playing the blame game and uh, really being willing to, uh, you know, sort of right the wrong and look in the positive direction. So that's kind of the prerequisite for having these communications with your partner. One of the things that I'm curious about, and I cannot remember this, the actual statistic, I, I feel like it's in my book, Breaking Money Silence, but that was a few years ago I wrote that, where it was some study, and you may be familiar with other studies, but where they said that if a couple actually identified a financial infidelity and work through it, that ultimately their relationship was stronger. Have you ever heard about any study like that or experienced that in your practice? I've definitely experienced in, in, a, in my practice. I've had couples who have gotten through pretty significant uh, financial setbacks. Uh, one of the couples that I'm thinking of is uh, a couple who was nearly retired, and a um, the husband was more of a... Uh, a money hoarder or uh, somebody who is a little too prudent with their savings, right? And the wife was really the opposite. Um, and for about you know 20 or 30 years, uh, she walked to the beat of his financial drum and they didn't have kids because he thought it was too expensive. They didn't go on a lot of trips because it was too expensive, so on and so on. And you know, in financial therapy, it was a really difficult conversation to really delve into the resentment that the wife had against the husband for really being so controlling and limiting. And, you know, for the last several decades in what she could or could not uh, spend on herself, on the couple, and even to the point of uh, not even having the ability to have kids. What the breakthrough was uh, within that couple was that they were able to look at each other from a standpoint of each person was doing the best that they could. And instead of being sort of, again, uh, going back and forth uh, in, in a blame game, they were able to resolve this conflict by... Um, really looking at the vulnerability and, and inability to communicate the vulnerability to each other for, you know, the <laughs> practically the entire 20 years. And it might sound really kind of crazy that this is the one thing that came up uh, in session after, you know, several months of treatment and after 20 years of them kind of go, going back and forth and being at wit's end with each other. But ultimately, it was the lack of vulnerability and finally, you know, opening up these com communication channels and being able to say to each other what they felt for so many years towards each other. And it was a, a very freeing co uh, conversation. Yeah, and I would imagine that would be incredibly healing. And I can see, especially generationally, but certainly um, different situations for different couples, it can be really hard 
based on your history to be vulnerable or if there's, you know, a lot plays out around money. So I think that's really an example of how financial therapy can be a really great uh, tool. And it's something that we shouldn't think, oh, you're a certain age and you go to financial therapy. It actually can be at any point throughout your lifespan, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I'd like to even point out one of the other techniques that was really instrumental in in helping heal this particular couple was uh, the idea of circular causality. Circular causality means that it's not only the person who is, quote unquote, at fault, who is committing the financial infidelity, but it, you know, it, it's really up to both partners to to begin to change. And that even in this case, that the wife was doing something that unfortunately um, helped and made way for financial infidelity to occur. And what that was on her behalf was abdicating all financial responsibility to the husband. It was the fact that she felt so taken care of earlier on in their marriage that this was a one way that the husband was able to court her initially. But again, ultimately abdicating financial responsibility completely, you know, led way to the financial um, infidelity because she did not know what was happening in their in their budget and their spending plan and where the money was going. Interesting. That is so interesting. I mean, I think there's two things that stand out in our conversation today for me. One is the triangulization or it being in a triangular relationship, which I, I talk about from time to time in my work, but having money be the thing that's in between the couple that, that you're triangulating around is really kind of a fascinating uh, concept. And I think the other thing, which is really hopeful, but also very realistic, is that you know, the per they can have one person who has a symptom, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something that the couple needs to work on together in their dynamic. And it sounds like you're doing really uh, interesting and cool work. I know you're a member of the Financial Therapy Association, and I'm going to put that link down there because I think a lot of people don't know what financial therapy is. And this organization is a, a great way to find um, out more, certainly about you, Dr. Alex, but about other people and the field. And I also understand that you have um, some courses that you, uh, or at least one course that you have created that you want to make available to people. And you are offering something very special to my listeners. And that makes me smile. So why don't you tell um, the podcast listeners uh, what the course is and what your special offer is today for them? Absolutely. Well, I'm smiling as well. Uh, and the special offering is for our Love and Money course that is available now on our website at financialpsychologycenter.com. And this is a powerful uh, course that, where you can learn about uh, at least five dysfunctional financial uh, money behaviors that sabotage your financial health and how you can overcome them, and which includes actually financial infidelity. And for the BMS uh, listeners, we have a special promo which um, includes a 50% discount for the course. So please enter promo code BMS21 and you will get a special 50% discount on the course. 
Wow, that's super generous. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes, and I definitely encourage people uh, to check that out. I always love what uh, Dr. Alex is up to, and, and I'm sure it's a phenomenal course. And so why don't you let listeners know a little bit more about where they can find out about you and your work and your website? And um, unfortunately, time goes so quick, so we're going to have to Absolutely. wind it down. Thank you so much. So my website is uh, financialpsychologycenter.com. And I'm also available on uh, pretty much <laughs> all social media, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter uh, at financialpsychologycenter.com. And on Facebook and Twitter, it's actually at FinPsychCenter for both of those. So that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, I know I always enjoy connecting with you, not only you know, on a phone call or a committee meeting, but certainly on LinkedIn, we've connected back and forth. So thank you so much for your time and your expertise. It's really been interesting to learn more about financial infidelity and more about the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. Pleasure. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.